0: So this is where I'll bring in, like, we have these wonderful remote relationships, people globally that have helped us. This is the Making It National podcast. So like, no better time to introduce how much the citizens of Asheville and and, and the type of selflessness and, and camaraderie that you can build in, in, in such a close-knit community has, has helped. So there were people, a few people at the gym that I mentioned who quite simply, they were trying to help me succeed. And and while ultimately these individuals weren't a part of what we're now doing from a business standpoint, and what I found just repeatedly living here is that they were just very much giving of their time and able to just get me started with the basics when otherwise I think I would have struggled and I wouldn't have taken those first steps. Cool. So just being able to set up some kind of uh, ability to take people's credit card information and get the LLC and get going when otherwise I don't think I would have. I I had that help in the form of, I think you could say my first business mentors who were just other people at that gym um, at the time.
1: And that was Zach Greenwald. He's the founder of Strength Ratio, a Olympic lifting and strength training gym here in Asheville. Uh, We'll go into more details about what that means during the episode.
2: And this is Making It in Asheville, a podcast where the two of us sit down with someone like Zach and ask them about what they're making and how they are making it in Asheville. And we are your hosts. I'm Tony, and that was Sarah And a quick disclaimer, I made a boo-boo in the middle of our first recording, so this is actually two separate sessions with Zach, um, and each are fantastic in my opinion, but it's a little bit longer than our traditional episode. Each session was about an hour's worth of recording, and um, we dive really deep into a couple very meaningful concepts, I think, and I'll highlight a couple. One is that Zach built this incredible gym here in Asheville using what is effectively the opposite strategy that a traditional person would use to open a gym Um, rather than buying tons of equipment and finding a location. Zach started with online coaching, um, and I think that's really interesting and something to pay attention to as you, listener, might be thinking about starting your business. Um, Beyond that, he spends so much time thinking about the community in his gym, from the way that he onboards new members to the way that they think about training the whole person, not just trying to get stronger, but, you know, better in air quotes. Um, Absolutely loved getting to talk with Zach twice to make this episode happen.
1: Yeah. And and I really enjoyed learning about this particular type of fitness um, because I don't know very much about fitness. And I really liked Zach's perspective on pain and the emotional side of fitness and and this element of uh, vulnerability so we, we talk a lot about this concept it's really interesting for anyone who's ever felt um, maybe a little strange walking into a gym or vulnerable uh, going into that kind of setting
2: and I would expand that to say it's just a level of empathy for your customer or potential yeah. customer that um, when you take the time to really consider what it is to, um, to be someone who asks you for help, right? so to be your potential customer, uh, when you put as much time into thinking about that as it seems that Zach and the team at Strength Ratio has, um, you, you're putting yourself in a position to be successful. That's what what I think. So uh, it's a long enough episode. We don't need to necessarily drag out the intro all that much longer. What we will say, though, is that this episode is brought to you by uh, the Chop Shop Butchery. It is our local choice for all things meat and eggs and seafood. Uh, That is where we go, the Chop Shop.
1: Yeah, and we have a special promotion going on with them right now. Uh, You can save 10% on your next purchase at the Top Shop Butchery. Uh, You can save this until Thanksgiving of this year, of 2019. So that means you get 10% off your Thanksgiving meats, including your turkey. Um, If you are ordering a turkey, order it now because Mm -hmm. they are selling out fast. Um, So yeah, all you have to do in order to use that offer is visit makingitinashville.com forward slash chop shop. And you just show that page to the team members and you'll save 10%.
2: Perfect. All right. So without further ado, this is episode 30 with Zach Greenwald of Strength Ratio. Enjoy. we'd love to hear how do you describe who you are and what you're up to today so and i'll talk about kind of like my origin story with
0: founding the business Mm -hmm. but then i'll be introducing and speaking on behalf of the team and we're a team of four and our company is strength ratio and we serve people in fitness in Asheville, which is where our gym is and which is where our headquarters are and we also serve a global clientele so we have athletes all over the world and we've had athletes that we work with and this is again all working remote we're not traveling to work with them though in some instances we have uh in australia in the uk in norway just about everywhere south america so we have this blend of people that we work with from afar but our headquarters just so happen to be in nashville
1: and It seems like you guys are doing things a little bit differently. This isn't just like your average LA fitness or whatever. What kind of fitness are we talking about?
0: Yeah. So when people come into the gym, they ask if it's CrossFit because at least in our gym space, though I would love to just tear down a wall and rent out the unit next to us and and throw in a ton of machines. There's not a lot of machines uh, in the gym that you would see in, say, a 24-hour fitness studio or in, like, a Gold's gym, right. uh, a lot of people think it's a CrossFit gym, and we educate around how we are not CrossFit. We are our own entity with our own training philosophies, but you will see you know, barbells and bike ergs and ski ergs and row ergs. Um, we offer group classes uh, on site here where we're you know, just a few minutes walk away from and personal training as well. Yeah.
1: And there's this element of Olympic fitness, right? Olympic training that I remember Tony telling me about when he first started uh, so, going so to the gym. So here's the disclaimer
2: what? in case we haven't okay. already done the disclaimer. I train at strength ratio. I have now, it's been about three months with a honeymoon break in the middle, um, and so in this conversation, you're going to have two different uh i guess awarenesses as to what Zach's up to, Sarah being my tales of uh p r s or whatever, and my like hands on so that's why some of these questions could be uh, of varying depths is that yeah, d- I
1: nothing about the fitness world let's just say
0: so and and what you what you're referring to is olympic style weightlifting and what so people are very familiar with crossfit as an entity and crossfit you know they they took a a lot of fitness characteristics and sports and and merged them together but these fitness characteristics and sports had existed you know Long before right. CrossFit, but right. CrossFit did a wonderful job exposing people to these, uh, you know, respective sports or or to a non twenty four hour fitness kind of go in, put your headphones in, and instead now you're working out in a social setting. Uh, this is this is what CrossFit had done so beautifully, kind of like the rise of of group fitness. Yeah, and what we do is we try to educate people uh, because. You know, fundamentally what we do is strength and conditioning and Olympic weightlifting is a sport that we as a team, you know, participate in and mm-hmm. enjoy and mm-hmm. have people who compete in it that we kind of add on to our strength and conditioning though. Olympic weightlifting, what you were referring to can yeah. fall under the larger umbrella of just simply strength and conditioning.
2: And if that makes sense. And, but yeah. it's, it's a sport that is featured in the Olympics. There you go. Got it. Yes. And to, yeah. to kind of qualify that it's called Olympic weightlifting because it's in the olympics and in short it's two competitions it's two movements let's use the right terms two movements in both of them you take a weight from the ground and you put it over your head Mm -hmm. one is in one fluid motion it's called a snatch the other is in uh what is called a clean where you first get the weight to your shoulders and then you lock the bar out overhead that is how i understand it clean and jerk and then the snatch are the two movements and make up Olympic Olympic lifting.
0: Yeah, if you've tuned into the Summer Olympics, you might mm-hmm. see like what you might describe as like larger people lifting large weights. <laughs> but there are varying weight classes for you know mm-hmm. what is you know, quote unquote men's side and women's side. But mm-hmm. yeah, there's Olympic weightlifting that we enjoy, and then there's just a very large umbrella of strength and conditioning, and any fitness. Uh, Program that mm-hmm. exists in the world, or are there any of the gyms in town, fall under some umbrella, perhaps with the exception of yoga or Pilates? Like, yeah. they're all offering some form of strength and conditioning. And we just provide a context around how to do it, not just safely, but sustainably for many, many years. So, you know, what we have to offer is uh, an education around doing it well, uh, how to perform well, how to move well, which isn't a sexy sell. But, um, it, and nor is, you know, discussions of like moderating exercise mm-hmm. and not always going a hundred percent when that might be common, but a lot of it comes down to just educating around how to exercise
2: safely and sustainably. So that's, that's where we are. And, and I'll say that my background is sort of, a, I feel like it is a perfect storm of sorts that led to me to strength ratio in so much as I grew up playing sports competitively. That's when I started the first time uh getting personally trained. Mm-hmm. It was a small group of um, you know, my friends, we would go to the gym, the annex, I wear the hat all the time. Yeah. What's up, Mickey? Uh and <laughs> uh so we would start getting trained, then continued in through college, played lacrosse, strength and conditioning through The school and then in the summers through the same, the annex again, Uh, that led me post-collegiate. I gained 20 pounds and started doing CrossFit, got a level one certification as a coach in CrossFit. Mm -hmm. Knew that a lot of what was happening in CrossFit in like the global sense was a net benefit. Also knew that uh, due to the nature of how it was designed and built as a business, that there would be insane variation at gym to gym or box to box, as they would say, mm-hmm. on what they cared about. So our gym, the Annex, which is where I had trained at as a high school athlete and college athlete, our gym cared about sports performance training and used CrossFit as a supplement in the hours where high school kids couldn't come in to work out. Mm-hmm. And so we took a pretty, let's say, sports-focused movement towards CrossFit. Uh, that led me to always kind of see CrossFit and not drink Kool-Aid necessarily. Once I left New Jersey, moved into New York, it was Kool-Aid central for CrossFit <laughs> training. And that began where I pretty much stopped training from 2014 or 15 until coming here.
0: And, and there's nothing wrong with Kool-Aid drinking of something that, you know, provides a sense of social support and assists in your physical well-being. Um, but we so the crossfit model is an affiliate model where everyone pays their dues to have the name right. and they more or less have to operate under certain you know i i, I want to say codes of conduct um, under the crossfit umbrella we We are not affiliated with with any crossfit or or, or other type of yeah. larger larger business, but um, there is uh, something to be said for i think being part of you know, a, a group of people, whether that's from a distance or from our, our team here that can make fitness a lot more attractive mm-hmm. and help people stay a lot more accountable. So yeah, that drinking the kool aids great, but you know, outside of, of being just a strength conditioning company, it's really just taking the time to form relationships, as you mentioned with the, the people who drink our Kool-Aid, but mm-hmm. ours isn't, one that's like, uh, hey, this is going to be a cathartic experience, or we're going to like really make ourselves feel like crap. Yeah. Though there are things that yeah. definitely feel hard because to get better at training, it has to be challenging right. over time. Um, but yeah, I think those social aspects that you referenced are so important and, yeah. and can be really helpful for people, especially for those who, who struggled with it in the past.
1: Yeah. So I and I know Tony has kind of explained to me a little bit about how the gym works and that there's you know this element of. Uh, classes and group training Mm -hmm. and then there's another element of sort of open gym space Mm -hmm. for our audience can you just walk us through sort of the daily schedule of the gym and how you as coaches play a role in that
0: absolutely so we have a class schedule and the class schedule involves strength conditioning classes for people who like the sport of olympic weightlifting it's built Mm -hmm. in for them to be able to practice and learn that that high skilled sport
1: and these are like 15 people, 20 people. How many people typically are
0: in a class? In a class size, uh, average class size is usually between six and eight. Um, so we are now growing in this new space yeah. relative to the last space we had, which was you know, a bit too far away for us to be considered relevant. And th- those weren't really our goals. Um, so before I, I get kind of curtail that uh the idea is that we have, uh, like you said, you know, group class, six to eight people per class. Mm-hmm. And we also have people who come in and just use the gym space. And as coaches, so we have three coaches, and yeah. those are three of the four owners myself, my partners, Kyle, and Becca. Um, and we are, if not coaching the classes or just kind of overseeing the open gym space, we're working and communicating with our remote clients. So, from and we all have similar but slightly different days, but for me, like I wake up 5 a.m. I'm communicating with my remote athletes. I might come into the gym for a little bit for some personal training, which we also offer, and then pause for just a little bit in the day. And then in the afternoon, for instance, in my own schedule, I'll I'll be coaching mm-hmm. uh, here. So from a coaching standpoint, it's a little blend of working with our remote clients personal training clients in our, our group classes.
1: Yeah. I think that's really interesting to point out because all of the other, and I, again, I haven't gone to very many gyms before, but all of my other fitness experiences have been usually like groups of 20 people in a room doing mm. exercise and not, no one's really there to like coach you or tell you you're doing that movement right or wrong. They might point out a few things, but because the class size is so big, it's like they can't possibly. And, and, and to know, be- uh-huh. What, what you're so talking about is yeah. like
2: a uh like in a dance studio room at a fitness place yeah. twenty four yeah. hours or whatever would yeah. be considered?
1: Like whatever that what was the one in New York? I don't remember uh, what it was. It was, was like New York health fake. and
2: racket is where yeah. we would go. Yeah. Um
0: but yeah, the 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 things that you perform in the gym as it pertains to like barbell training. Which, for those who don't know, they're kind of like the longer cylindrical uh, <laughs> pieces of equipment. And there's also dumbbells, like the shorter cylindrical ones with, like, the two ends. There's also machines involved. All this is not something that people just walk into a gym knowing how to do. Right. You have yeah. to just make sure you teach people how to do it. It's not yeah. something that's... Um, I think there's this, uh, like, functional exercise type kick that's gone on. Um there's nothing wrong with using machines. There's, there's a, a, a spectrum of what is functional. Cause yeah. you have to say, what is this function specific for, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. Um, but ultimately we just have to make sure that our class sizes are such that it promotes our growth as a business, which is something that right. we're working on for, cause we have the two main aspects of the business are that, which we do in Asheville and that, which we do from afar. So the remote and the on-site, so to speak. Uh, but uh have the class sizes be such where we can make sure that everyone's getting the
2: attention they need and they feel safe and sound is is very important uh, to us. And one thing I'll, I'll also highlight is your onboarding practice, which was in my opinion, in impossibly high touch. Like, uh, one of the, one of the business rules that you'll hear thrown around either a Seth Godin or someone like it is you need to do the things that are not scalable, uh, for as long as you possibly can. And my thought on how hands-on your onboarding was, was like, damn, this is not scalable. Like, they can't add 20 athletes a week. Maybe they can. But, like, with the amount we did, three or four hour-long one-on-one trainings, in effect, to make sure that I had competency through all of the ranges of movements... Before you would you know say yeah you're good to go on one of our classes and then it would still be scaled uh, in some way but I thought that I would love to hear how do you how strength ratio thinks about onboarding
0: well so sometimes when you go into a fitness studio or, or a, a crossfit I'll say crossfit style gym um, where you see barbells and dumbbells and more of like an open floor plan there are, there aren't as many machines sometimes people just are so excited to get going, and of course you want that business as a business owner, so they come into class. But you might not respect in that process the amount of learning that has to go into these skills to be able to perform them safely, and the onboarding becomes uh, you know one uh, very important piece with which the business owner kind of puts forth their presentation and, and, and perspectives on those topics of safety and technique and longevity, which is what we prioritize. And while we know and are striving towards increasing our clientele here, it's not our only revenue stream. So we are not forced to just kind of crank people in. And unfortunately, in some instances, a lot of people just see them out the back door, perhaps due to injury or feelings of burnout, et cetera. But because we have multiple revenue streams from our on-site and from our remote clients, we're able to work steadily towards our goals that we have for the business in town, while making sure that the people who come into our environment are of kind of a like mind, meaning that they respect the process. They don't want to use exercise. As we have a lot of talk around this topic recently, where uh, exercise is not a therapy to resolve other life challenges you have. It can be therapeutic, but you don't want to take the exercise and really beat yourself down with it to, you know, mask yeah. or, or help resolve other lifestyle stressors or traumas, etc. So we there's a certain clientele that we're just never going to appeal to because they might not see why they should put in three hours yeah. of, you know, one on one, highly individualized assessments and coaching. Um and those aren't the people we want. We want people who yeah. who and to love this aspect of learning new skill and wanting to stay, yeah. uh, safe and sustainable with, with their gym practices. Yeah.
2: Like, so those three hours absolutely spoke to me. I'm like, I get these people, I get these people, these people get me. This is my, this is my place. Whereas I know, or I remember noticing that someone else around when I was trying to onboard, uh, it was the most agitated, irritating concept. Why would I need and out, why would I need to to do your onboarding? I've I've done Olympic lifting for four years. I can snatch two hundred pounds.
0: Yeah, well, we we think we're pretty good <laughs> at at what we do by now. Though we still have a lot to learn. That even when people come in who are quite trained, we we just say, you know, if if you're willing to kind of uh, walk in our door, we we accept that you're you're willing to learn. You might recognize and, and read about our story online to know yeah. that we are practiced in this enough to perhaps yeah. teach someone who's experienced even uh, some some new tricks.
1: Yeah. yeah. I feel like that's a great way to, in a way, weed out clients that probably aren't going to be the right fit, right? Because you want someone that's going to be able to take your advice and Absolutely. learn from you. You don't want someone that's just going to be like, oh, I know everything and then ruin the whole class for everybody else. Totally. Have you ever said no to someone that's walked through the door? So or?
0: where we, maybe I've had to say, no but let's try this instead is in the way of perhaps um someone comes in and and this will kind of touch on our 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 origin story and how we built social proof over time Mm -hmm. but there are some people who might not be ready for our group classes and rather than to me it The the word I'll use is unethical, though I know that a lot of gyms have to survive. They need members coming in. Certain people might come in, whether it's based on their experience or their injury history or relationship with exercise, where it would be, in my mind, unethical to put them into a group class without really getting them well-practiced, confident, and comfortable with their exercise. So we might do something like personal training. Um, If someone comes in with chronic pains or they have something that's preventing them from doing what they want to do, and they have either been self-educated for, as for the importance of resistance training for being healthy, not only do we help people become fitter and stronger, but we also guide people out of chronic pain. So we're not registered. Uh, I'm certainly not a licensed physical therapist, chiropractor, yeah. practicing medical doctor. Um, but the, the cool thing is, and this kind of, again, is something we'll dive into when we go into the origins, that... There was, for a very long time, a bridge between physical therapy. As people might, if they've ever been to physical therapy, imagine resistance bands and medicine balls. Like that, all seems like a kind of a, a safe, supported, like almost uh, you know, like uh, very
1: training t- wheels for yeah. it to get better. <laughs> uh-huh. it, it, okay.
0: It's it's um, it's something that d- certainly does not look like a gym. The reality is that there's for almost a decade now a lot of emerging literature to say that a lot of what we can do to help people feel better and come out of chronic pain can be with appropriately dosed exercise that you would find or that you would use to become fitter or stronger. Mm -hmm. We just have to dose that correctly and we also have to get to know the people because especially around pain scenarios, it's not strictly mechanical as we've learned over the past decade. There's now what a lot of uh, practicing doctors and physical therapists will refer to as the psychosocial model around pain or the biopsychosocial model, which is a fancy way of saying that the pain that people perceive and even the performance that people hope to achieve has to consider how they're doing uh, emotionally, psychologically, what were their past experiences with pain or performance. You really have to take the time to sit down and get to know someone, which Mm -hmm. speaks to, again, our, our onboarding process
1: that's super interesting yeah okay i feel like we should take a step back and talk a little bit about how all of this got started
2: okay and be and all my preface i know less of the origin story than i would like but it, whenever i think about strength rate ratio i think of how it seems that you have grown with an inverted fitness model so what i would say is uh The evolution of the fitness model, and I'm speaking without expertise in this, but what I've seen is uh, there's a gym that charges memberships. And in reality, what they they want is as many members as possible, and they want as few of the members to show up as possible. That creates some sort of a margin. That margin is how they make money. It changed slightly, let's say. With the group fitness, where it's like, all right, now we have members, but they can only show up in these windows mm-hmm. where we are running a class. In those windows, um, we'll have a single teacher or coach, and that limits our, let's say, capital expenses or operating expenses. We know on a recurring revenue basis what our money in is going to look like. Everyone's happy. If they show up, they can show up, but we might need to start adding more classes eventually. Mm-hmm. But the new classes will be paid for by the need for the new classes, yeah. hypothetically, slightly better model. Once you get kind of good there, it's like, all right. so how else do we make money? Maybe that's you're selling protein. Maybe you have a partnership with some sort of food place in town. Maybe you start to think about online coaching or programming, uh-huh. things that uh, are, air quotes, scalable. Yes. So, very
0: much, yeah, it, is, it, it was totally the opposite of that. It's a story. So, in, in, in telling this story, as I explained to you guys briefly before we went on, my wife, who came on in the past year, is our chief mar- marketing officer, and she's involved with sales. She reminded me. She's like, sometimes you know, you go on these like traipsing. We spoke about Lord of the Rings. Like, I can Tom Bombadil around and come <laughs> back to time. She's like, so just answer one question at a time. And fortunately, like I've gotten a little bit better as in the growth of our business. I'm fortunate to be on a lot of podcasts. Yeah. But Increased our exposure, so I won't Tom Bombadil around. I'll try to keep it like. It seems like you've been pretty linear in your responses so far. Yeah, I'll try to keep <laughs> to it. In the origin of the story, though, I'll try not to. It, it's hard not to. Um, so it, it starts in college, which was at the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill,
2: the real UNC <laughs> if you live in North Carolina. Um, I feel like this is the beginning of like a, a f- you know f- football game where you're like the UNC, yeah, with UNCA <laughs> like a hundred yards away from where we're speaking. Um, So,
0: I received my uh, bachelor's in exercise and sports science, and it was just a wonderful education. I, in fact, didn't start school with this degree in mind. I started thinking I wanted to go into history education to be a teacher. I decided to transfer, and when I transferred, I looked for the programs that were receiving the most funds for graduate research. And far and away, that was Chapel Hill. So I transferred, I met my wife the day before classes started, future wife, (laughs) the day before classes started. And I was exposed to these amazing, amazing thinkers and researchers in our field, who uh, really um, kind of lit this fire under me. And while I didn't know exactly where this would all go, I felt like, because I had done personal training, prior and i'd always been an athlete as you had mentioned in, in your in your past is that this was definitely my thing i was really excited about my study
2: so so 17 or 18 year old zach was at one point a high school baseball player that, yeah baseball, baseball? was right. my sport so yeah. a high school baseball player um probably not playing at unc chapel hill baseball no no to no. imagine that's no. a pretty yeah that, elite... that's a, another uh that was another level cool so uh you are training at like the student gym? Where where would you train at that? I had done personal training
0: as early as when I was 16. And then I... Delivering the training or receiving training? uh, Well, when I I started exercising and and learning how to coach and some of the inspiration that I'd drawn and the good coaching that I received began when I was 13. Wow. Began personal training when I was 16. And when I was in college... I coached throughout that time as well. Um, So I got good coaching opportunities, but then in in the classroom, there was just a lot of great things going on. And when I was in school, I I made two important connections. So one of my dear friends, and she'll be up here in a few weekends hanging out with us. um, She lives in Charlotte now. We were peers and we would train together, meaning at lunchtime between classes, we'd go to this gym that we both went to and we'd, we'd lift together. She, after graduation, moved to Charlotte area where there was a team of stipend athletes who were being set up for success to train on a national level and international and hopefully Olympic level stage in the sport that we were talking about, which was Olympic weightlifting. Mm -hmm. So when I graduated, I had moved out to Asheville and I was able to reconnect with this individual who was now working with these elite level and world level athletes in this
2: particular sport. So uh, Olympic level athletes from Charlotte area? They were brought together in Charlotte. It was cool. called Muscle
0: Driver uh, USA. And then that's... So, so, so one, through a, a sincere friendship, no way was this leveraging Becca, as uh, her name is Becca. Um, I was not leveraging our friendship. She, she became uh, and worked hard to become this elite level weightlifter and had represented our country internationally in weightlifting too thereafter. And then another connection I made was through a graduate assistant who was getting his PhD, who since day one of starting our LLC kind of advised me on a little bit of the business, but a lot of the science and what became like my continued education in the form of his mentorship. But at the time he was a doctorate student working towards his PhD. So, he became an important part of our, our origins, mm-hmm. as did my connection with these weightlifters with large social media followings, high ambitions, whether it's national level, world level, or the Olympics.
2: And were you personally, what was your training looking like at the time? Were you doing Olympic weightlifting as part of your fitness? So I, I think I had
0: gotten, so I, I had kind of done a little bit of everything and because I had started training since I was 13. And I took baseball so seriously, I was kind of just excited to go in the gym and was kind of taking a backseat on my own, uh, like, fitness. fitness goals. But yeah, yeah. I just love training, it's part of my hygiene. Yeah. It's like what I do. Um, and I was just wanting to, like, kind of dive more into the coaching side of things. Cool. And that's still kind of where I am now. Got it. Yeah. Okay. But um, it all started with one relationship that helped us again from more of making sure that we were really well grounded uh, from someone who had a a science background that could make sure that what we were putting out content wise and what we were helping our clients with was quote-unquote evidence based mm-hmm. and what's important about an evidence based model is that not only is it scientific but it's a blend of what is scientific what people experience as anecdote as being successful for themselves and mm-hmm. what's in my own experience. So it was great to have him in one corner and then part of my own experiences and others was the connection that came from this, what you can think of as a professional athlete in the form of weightlifting.
2: Yeah. yeah. Crazy. And so you, you started assisting Becca with training or programming for those elite level World athletes. So yep, and this kind of
0: goes back to where, and especially at this time, is 2013. There was this bridge between physical therapy or quote unquote rehab and performance, but the two exist on the separate ends of the same continuum, which is we have these things that we do in our lives that uh, you can think of as expenditure. If you have a, a cup of water here you pouring out some of that water is your expenditure and that when you train uh, to perform, you spill some water out and you do things to help recover and put water back in. And even in your daily lives, if you're not quote unquote training, but you're doing a lot of things repeatedly, uh, you're pouring some water out. And if, if we don't, in either case, put water back in, so to speak, and take the time to you know sleep well and, and, eat sufficiently will either experience a plateau or uh, inability to move the needle forward on performance, or we might feel physical pains in our body. So I was able to take some of the education that I had from school with some continued education from both this former graduate assistant and connections that I even made in Asheville and help this group of weightlifters return to play. So in the beginning, I became known as this person who could help people who were in a non-performing state heal their injuries through training, not that physical therapy model, which I'm not saying is not appropriate. Yeah. It'll get you, it'll be very successful for what it's worth, but you'll even see a lot of physical therapists and chiropractors now involving exercise that seems quote unquote like gym-like, but I was able to help them get back to where they were, square one, and then help them moving forward. So the best example that I can give is after I was able to help Becca, my college friend, with her injuries, I was then able to help her perform well. And then my second client, or my first big project, was when I was applying for graduate school in physical therapy. We had been living in Asheville for about a year, and I was taking a few continued ed classes or getting some credits rounded out for graduate school in physical therapy. But my project was to get this one lifter, a peer of Becca's, to a level of health and then to compete on the world platform in weightlifting. So I remember being in chemistry class and I was coaching on the side, but mainly just getting ready to become a graduate student and struggling to find time between my chemistry studies, this is like the one credit that I didn't take undergrad. Such a hard
2: class. Yeah. And it's, I'm <laughs> trying
0: hard to focus. It is challenging with wanting to help this individual get out of pain and then furthermore improve and perform well on the world stage. And in that one success story, which again was connected by Becca, who I met in college mm-hmm. and all of this was serendipitous and kind mm-hmm. of explains just our, our origin Was I able to help this individual hit personal records at world championships? And this was on my own time. This was, I think I, I, people are always talking about like the hustle and like, this is like big now on social media, like, especially on entrepreneurs, like the hustle and the hours you put in when it's not your job. I'm like, Oh yeah, that sounds cool. It's like, wait, I I was, I I realized I was like, I was doing that, but I loved what I was doing. So I didn't really think about it as like a hustle. It was just exciting. Yeah. And I had really just taken to enjoying this, this process to where in helping this individual succeed and with his platform. social exposure shpo, exposure, <laughs> exposure sure. uh, and his platform, I was able to repeat that formula because I was confident I could help people with many more athletes. Mm-hmm. And that's how we slowly grew, uh, at least in the beginning as it, well, I, we, it was just me at the time. That's how I grew it from nothing to, okay, well, now people are asking for help and I don't know how to start
2: a business, so I guess i got to figure out how to do that. Mm. i got a thousand questions, but I'm going to pause and look to
1: Sarah. (laughs) Well, my first thought is like, wow, this is such an altruistic thing to be doing. Like, you're helping someone get better and then go beyond that. And it, it just seems so altruistic i don't know if you've ever thought about it that way or if there's something else that you're getting out of it well i I don't think it's
0: well thank you (laughs) but i think what it speaks to is actually how cool these discoveries have been Mm. in the pain science world to figure out that if you are experiencing pain you're not broken you're gonna be okay and we can actually use your exercise in a in, in 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 the same fashion as we would for you to improve but when we have a really good education in it we can keep you moving and on the same platform rather than thinking i'm injured i can't perform i can't pick up my kids as i want to i can't play my music as i want to i just finished up with a client who's uh in, uh he's a, a guitar player in a mm-hmm. band that people would know in town um but you know all these things i want to do i'm in pain this is a boring process in which I have to try to heal myself. No, it it actually is just on a continuum of how you would perform in the gym when the gym is, when that experience is done well. Right. So thank you so much for saying it's altruistic. I think what it does speak to though, is that I did find my life's calling very early on in life, which was coaching. So you mentioned about my own training. I was like, I, I love training. I love staying physically fit, but I really don't care about it nearly as much as I
2: care about my athletes. So interesting because I've seen versions of not caring that much by gym owners, and they are you know sloppy messes or have a funny little limp or whatever it is, which really underlines it you know they care more about the business that they're mm-hmm. growing or the training that they're writing than um keeping their own kind of engine humming and when I watch you and the other owners of strength ratio move, mm-hmm. whether or not you intend to be like uh, world level competitors, it's not, uh, it doesn't look like you're coasting. <laughs> it looks like you guys are, um, are training f- for something.
0: Well, we, we, I think we care about the quality of the movement and, and that reflects in how safe and, and when, when you come into our gym, you're like, wow, people, uh, people know what they're doing. Like that speaks to the onboarding process as well. But, um. I, you know, I, I wasn't, uh, I never thought I'd have a business. Like I was able to help someone that was in line with my, and I think coaching is, is, um, is it altruistic? I, I, if you're a coach, you have to like any other allied health profession or health profession, you give a lot of yourself. And and if you really do believe that to be your calling, I think there is something that is very altruistic about that actually. and, And something that's very selfless. Um, If you're really doing it for the right reasons, you give a a lot of yourself. And if it had just been me with my remote clients as this audience through social media, i.e. Instagram and Facebook, the the word would get out and I would be on podcasts and I would just talk about what we were doing to help certain athletes. At the end of the day, it was still just me. And I was capped for how many people I could take on, which was great because my roster was full. There was a wait list and I could just kind of like cruise on that. Mm -hmm. But then that kind of would just get boring and I would be without a, a physical presence of people to work with. And that's when I brought on Becca Lee and Kyle Klachenko who were my first two business partners and Kyle was in undergraduate school, the University of Iowa, mm-hmm. and would come back periodically to visit his parents who live in Asheville. Oh, wow. And he would visit and come to the gym where both myself and Becca coached and would work out. So the three of us became friendly from like 2013 all the way through early 2016. At which point they came on and we started without there being any big endeavors, though you thoughtful, you know, business strategy pushing forward to say, how can we help people in Asheville as well? Mm-hmm. And, and that was kind of the, the the second big step. If the first step was Zach with his LLC, not really knowing business and just yeah. trying to help
2: his his clients. Right. Perfect. So I'm going if, to, if you'll let me, I'm going to ask a couple kind of like particulars on those steps um so i love that you fell backwards into having this business thing i'm interested in in hearing because this is service based um i when someone says oh i want to start a business my thought is always the fastest business you can start is a service-based business Mm -hmm. because all you really need to do to be in any form of like a coaching consulting uh service thing is have a conversation that lets, that makes the other person say, yeah, let's test that. Yeah, like, let, yeah, let's test that. And if you can test that and you can get paid on the back end, you get paid up front based on who you are and what kind of validation by past experiences you have, starting a service-based business hypothetically can be very easy. What did uh, 2013 or 2014 Zach think about? Uh, because it seemed like you had already built a relationship so people might have been coming to you how did you think about charging? How did you, uh, did you set up a website? Like what was your order of operations when you thought about that?
0: Yeah. So this is where I'll bring in like, you know, we have these wonderful remote relationships, people globally that have helped us. This is the Making It National podcast. So like <laughs> no better time to introduce how much the citizens of and, and and the type of selflessness and and camaraderie that you can build in in, in such a close-knit community has has helped so there were people a few people at the gym that i mentioned who quite simply they were trying to help me you know succeed and while ultimately these individuals weren't a part of what we're now doing from a business standpoint and what i found just repeatedly living here is that they were just very much giving of their time and able to just get me started with the basics when otherwise I think I would have struggled and I wouldn't have taken those first steps. Cool. So just being able to set up some kind of uh, you know, ability to take people's credit card information and get the LLC and get going when otherwise I don't think I would have, I, I had that help In the form of, I think you could say my first business mentors who were just other people at that gym
2: um, at at the time. And then uh, you're growing an online um, roster of athletes. Rates are increasing as more and more wins or PRs or like how how does the business grow to the point where you're like, I can either hire people or let people join this business. Because it's its its own thing now.
0: Yeah. So there was a period of time when I was able to work with my roster of athletes for X amount of time during the day. But then X amount of time was spent coaching at another establishment. And there was this scary period of time where... I had to make the decision to step back from that very safe and secure coaching position for that other establishment and really push forward on strength ratio. And that was when Becca and Kyle came forward with me. Prior to that, maybe there was one price increase that has lasted on, like to this very date, at least as it pertains to our remote, mm-hmm. remote clients. Wow. But I do remember there was a time being uh, quite scared of, you know, I have this safe thing, but I also have this side hustle. But now I'm with the help of friends, and and without them it wouldn't have been possible. Going to take a step forward and just try to go all in on this, um, and yeah, that 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 was a successful move.
1: How did you know that that was the right time? Was it just like, okay, I'm I'm getting. Overwhelmed by the number of requests that are coming in um, on this project, and it's mm-hmm. stretching so, me too thin, and I have to dedicate myself to it. Or
0: yeah, it it was some it was something that had been had been building. Yeah, but unfortunately, there was a little bit of a forced hand with conflict that had come up mm-hmm. with the establishment mm-hmm. that I was working at, and with what I was trying to do. Right. Um, there's. You know, now nothing but good feelings, but there there was a little bit of a forced hand yeah. that gave us that that nudge to move forward. Yeah. Sounds, it
2: sounds like, uh, in retrospect, it sounds like the perfect timing then. <laughs> it, like, yeah. it's yeah. one of those things that you're in, probably in the moment without being, a, you know, a Buddhist monk or a Zen practitioner. You're like, fuck, oh no. Like, what, but what are we going to do? How are we going to do it? And uh-huh. then you're like, good, man. Someone threw me in the deep end and now I can swim. This is a beautiful thing. Yep.
0: And we started with a space that was going to be a headquarters of sorts for us to produce content in and Mm. for us to work out in and imagine an industrial lot. And I wish I knew the dimensions, but most people probably don't know, but a space that was quite small. yeah, And half of it in an already small space was Kyle's dad's handyman work shop. (laughs) And the other half was a few like horse stall mats and platforms. And I mean, if if <laughs> there was no, no way we were marketing it in, in this setting outside of word of mouth. So I remember the first day that we ever got equipment for, um, for our site location. We were so excited. Like this is all brand new. Again, just half of this industrial lot that we shared with Kyle's dad. We were so excited that we went out to go get lunch. Kyle and I did. And we, we came back and we left the doors open to everything. Like, we, we were so stuck And all the gym equipment was just left out. Like, someone could have just come and taken yeah, it. Yeah. And we're like, do we tell Becca? Who at the time we definitely, like, you know, Kyle and I have matured. Uh, Kyle is 25. I'm 28. Becca is uh, the most sprightly, youngest looking 41 or 42 year old you'll ever meet. My wife is 29. But um, we're like, do we tell Becca that we did this? Because we were so excited. We're like, oh, we're not online anymore. We have like an establishment. Even though it's kind of like grungy and uh-huh. dinky, we have an establishment.
2: Let's go get tacos. But that's, <laughs> that's how it went.
0: And um, just slowly, a half strip of gym of an industrial lot became that full lot. Mm-hmm. Became now we have that lot and the lot next door. Mm-hmm. But still, we were pretty kind of far, not far out of town, but just far enough to be too far and to have a, a potential dilemma with do we move forward strictly online or are we going to try to ante up with our commitment to Asheville? And that was level three. And at level three, if level two was our, you know, bringing on of Becca and Kyle level one was the forming of the LLC level three was at the same time. And, and it could only have been made possible if, My wife came on board to help us Hmm. from a sales and marketing standpoint. So each step along the way, as the founder, I just felt so grateful that this idea that I had was able or this this thing that was created is now just as much these other people's creation because without them, it wouldn't have been possible. Uh, So the help came in very serendipitously at each step of the way. So that we're here where we are now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I love that sort of just like layering on different bits and pieces as you figured it out. Yeah. As you figured out you needed this or that and it just sort of came into. We
0: We have always had business consultation and help. But we never had as much structure to what we're doing now to try to succeed on another level. Yeah. um, Where we are... working harder than we have
2: ever worked and we're we're putting in hours that we've never put in and this is where the recorder stopped recording and so what a great opportunity to remind you that if you're enjoying this episode please like subscribe and uh, all of the fun things that you can do on your podcast player please do those we're going to continue two days later with Zach at our apartment um, and try to pick up where we left off I hope you enjoy the remainder of this episode. You know, we're not going to pretend to pick things up exactly where we left them, but we can continue the conversation with the knowledge that we've had a conversation two days ago that was really meaningful. We'll try to highlight the parts that we remember that were great and we'll add the bits that we didn't have the first time. Yeah, yeah. cool. So you were, as I remember, in the middle of saying, like, you're working harder as a team than you all have ever worked before? Does that sound true and fair? Yes. Okay.
0: So when we were in our little industrial lot, we weren't really growing as we wanted to in Asheville. The online part of the business kept growing and we had purpose there and we knew just since we had started as we had known that we were able to kind of tap into a market for people seeking individual help uh, for, you know, remote coaching and programming, and that would work. But based on where we were situated in town and the space we had available, we are just kind of in this, uh, like, no man's land.
2: Was it super West Asheville? Were you, like, out in Patton? It,
0: it was out past the bowling alley. Okay. And you'd have to drive up. The turn you had to make to get to us was pretty sketch. And the turn <laughs> to get out was, was the I
2: mean well
0: you take your yeah, I mean, oh my, it was just a, a horrible situation. Not only just getting in and out of this lot that was nowhere even close to the road, um, but just from a, a, a space standpoint, we I mentioned we had two industrial lots, we kind of capped that out, yeah. And the challenge was that for a gym space of the size that we wanted, it was almost impossible to find something that was seemingly feasible. The challenge persisted for like two and a half years of looking. Oh, wow. But then as pressures increased from the landlord and us kind of honestly asking, can we serve Asheville the way we want to? Is yeah. this going to work out for us? These things built and built in this very stressful time where I'm like, you know, I don't think that this is going to happen. And I just remember the uncertainty that followed in that period of increasing stress in the landlord We can't find anything. It was like uh, driving to work every day. I'm looking at every real estate sign. Uh We all are. And we're like, this is just going to be kind of like an online thing. And in a way, it felt like we failed Asheville. And we wanted to start with these small beginnings. But situations, some outside of our control, we just felt like we were falling short. Mm. And just, you know, fourth quarter, seconds left on the clock, uh, something huge pulled through. And, and we found our space and and it worked out.
2: The space seems, I mean, perfect-ish, right? It's North Asheville. It's right up the street from us, but it sits on that intersection. Was it 240 and then maybe Riverside and Mm -hmm. Broadway, right? It's like the little Yeah, right.
0: Right where UNCA area meets the River Arts District. Okay. Yeah.
2: And And it's, it's great. And it's great. And it's a red, like there's a red light where people can just look left and see strength ratio, yeah. which sounds totally different than this gnarly turn place. Oh, so think- much better. And I think you know, we had done
0: uh, podcasts and we'd grown to be in different like, countries all over the world. And I think seeing the name on the sign was this really paramount moment where I was like, oh, we've been running a business this whole time. Mm. And it sounds so strange, but because I'd been doing personal training since I was 16 years old, it was just what I did. I would wake up every morning, I would interact with my clients, and that's just how life uh, life worked. And then when I saw the sign on the building, there was this really great sense of fulfillment that we had at least put ourselves in a position to try to better serve Asheville. That we could move forward confidently as a team and that we had something to be proud of. We had a brand. We have a storefront and all of this. And it looked a lot more professional than it had in the past.
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting point. That's one of the things that we've uh, noticed about past podcast guests is that when they invest in themselves, when they invest in their business like that, like take that leap of you know getting a studio or getting a workspace or um, getting you know a brand mm-hmm. logo done, then it just becomes that much more real. What was the transition like once you moved in there Did people just show up and you were good? Did you you just bring, you know, all your old clients?
0: So the clients were amazing. I I spoke to how the community was wonderful in helping me when it was just, you know, Zach with the LLC get off the ground with with business uh, consultation, uh, free business consultation, just because people people believed in me. Um, But when we switched gym locations, our whole community came out and we move from one space to the next in, in one day wow. and with all this equipment it, we didn't have to rent any extra U-Hauls people just came out with their trucks and I mean in the middle of the week they they got to it uh, we were there as well but yeah. our whole community just poured out and helped us get into the spot because they felt connected to it and it was, it was something that wow. you know, was a part of their lives and, and that kind of like the sign all these things you know when you, when you're online working with clients there's that slight detachment from the person in front of you. It's still very real and, and it's it's great, but to have people that you are able to touch and people who are invested, they come out to help you move and, and it was just so, so wonderful. And when we got into the spot, our marketing strategies, and I had mentioned Courtney, my wife had come on as our chief marketing officer in sales. You know, when you're doing remote marketing, that's very different than what it's like to get people into your gym in a town that is you know, small enough to where you can you know, have boots on the ground and go out and hand out flyers and tell people what we're doing mm-hmm. and call upon past connections. So that's where she just crushed it. And in addition to a few promotional uh, offerings that we had, yeah, we, we got a lot of traffic uh, due to her help and the new space. And I think momentum that had just been building this whole time behind the scenes, even though we weren't breaking through on the old location, I think increasingly people were becoming aware of who we were in town. And then it was just like perfect time to to strike on that location.
1: Yeah. Was there a particular marketing strategy or marketing um, action that you think worked well?
0: So we realized that once people came into the door, we, our retention was, and still is, quite high and i think this speaks to what tony mentioned with the time put into every assessment Mm -hmm. three hours for those who want to learn the sport of olympic weightlifting an hour and this is all complimentary for someone with no past experience and perhaps you know a couple more many more hours potentially of of personal training at at a a reduced cost so as to have a month to kind of feel it out at a reduced price to see if this was a good fit. And we found that if we can get people in the door, we believed in our our knowledge and our experience and in the other people who we'd brought in, the community that we'd established, uh, to keep people around and make it a, a safe and supportive place where people wanted to be. So it was really a matter of just getting out in town, knocking on doors, so to speak, hosting events. Uh, we hosted... Uh, different educational opportunities and, and events uh, one at lululemon for instance exposing a community that may not be familiar with resistance training as to the benefits of resistance training and we brought in like all of our big guns like our pain science researcher our sports science researcher a medical doctor our nurse like all people who are in our community and just tried to provide value to the community yeah and yeah it was just a matter of seeing the people who could potentially be future clients
2: and and the two things that i'll highlight as a someone who i think got caught up in some of the whirlwind of your reopening experience and and marketing endeavors is that none of that would have shown up on my radar had we not met kylie at Mm -hmm. old north who couldn't have sung your praises any higher and i think she is a single person in the community, but I think probably is as good of an avatar as the standard community member at strength ratio. It to your point, when some, when people show up, there is something already there that makes you go, Oh man, this is a cool place. Like everyone mm-hmm. knows each other and not in like a click and you're not welcome into this. We also know you community, But it's like everyone knows each other. They seem like they're having fun. Like this is a thing. This is a cool thing. This is a different thing. And so Kylie put me on your radar. And I was like, okay, this is interesting. Let me check out the website. Look at everything. All right, so what's the programming? I don't know exactly what it is, but the schedule looks interesting. (laughs) Like what's going on with – all right, so there's weightlifting and then a class. Interesting. Okay, there's an opt-in. Let me opt-in. I opt-in. Every time I meet someone that has a business, I'll opt into their, to whatever the offer is on the website to see what, what they do next. Yeah. See what happens next. And by golly, I think I opted in on strength ratios, you know, learn more about our new opening membership discount thing. And it might've been like 11 o'clock at night, 902 the next morning, I get a call from an 828 number. And uh, I remember the call, and it's like, "Hello, <laughs> hello, Tony." And I was like, "Oh my god, it's a it's a robot," and it sounds so human. Because <laughs> like you know they do so that sweet sound. Yeah, you man. know how they do that thing where like they fake you into thinking oh, yeah. that there's a h- real human. And I was like, and she's like, "Tony, this is Courtney from Strength Ratio." And I was like, "Oh my god, hey, this is a real person." <laughs> <laughs> she's like, "Sorry, like it was static. I couldn't hear anything. It was yeah. so." Uh, and I was like, "Hey, yeah, and so we talked for a bit, and then I ended up coming in but it was it was the a Kylie being a awesome brand ambassador for mm-hmm. you all and what you 're working on, but b like it was a it was not i didn 't show up the next day it was like i I kind of forgot we were in getting ready to get married mode, yeah. um and then Courtney followed up like it 's amazing how important follow up is in a business because that's the reason why I showed up and that's how this all kind of has grown.
0: And you know, you might run into anyone in town who goes to one of the plethora of other gyms and you know, we're in it like we want the whole of the Asheville fitness community to thrive. And there are so many different gyms from which to choose from And, And you can find a really good match. Um, there is no wrong option in, in our mind because if people are getting you know, more physically fit and they have some kind of social support from that community, that's fantastic. We all might have slightly different ways of doing things, you know, different uh, community values, but we just want to see the whole community thrive together. And we all, I think, offer something slightly different enough. Even within the CrossFit gyms, they have... Niche themselves in a way and created personalities that are very distinguished where you can find one that works for you. The I think the great thing that y- the experience that you had in meeting Kylie that I think speaks to what we've really worked hard on is that because we really try to educate people about the process versus the outcome, mindset and behaviors and habits, she, and there's so many people that have really on to this, but I think Kylie especially, this is someone who has learned to come in and communicate about how she's feeling with her coaches, how to adjust as needed given what's going on in life, and when she feels great, she follows the program, maybe pushes a little bit harder when not feeling her best, she knows how to adjust, she's been educated for how to get the most out of her workout when she's not feeling her best, which can be hard because we sometimes like want to win from our day and we sometimes look to our exercise mm. almost in the form of therapy for that win. Um, but she's really improved this process-based approach to her fitness such that the rate of progress that she's made has her now you know, knocking on the door of qualifying for competitions that I don't think she would have believed possible a few years ago. Uh, so yeah, I just thought, What a great first interaction from someone who uh, I want to say has not bought into us, but has bought into, I think, a healthier way of approaching exercise than she has in the past. That's awesome. Yeah.
2: And I I feel like you've now alluded to it a couple of times and maybe there's a good opportunity. What makes what's going on at strength ratio, uh, though it's a, work air quotes workout class Mm -hmm. different than what people might be used to if they have any CrossFit experience.
0: So because, and we'll use there, there are a lot of like CrossFit like gyms, a lot of like hit gyms, which stands for high intensity interval training. I think they all kind of came out of the wake of the CrossFit, you know, group class platform and CrossFit has, their enterprise defined by high intensity, quote unquote, functional exercise. Um, and it's constantly varied. So, where we are different is that not only is high intensity pretty cool, in fact, you get really great results from it. But the catch is that you get quick results, but then you plateau if you only perform high intensity intervals or high intensity type training. So high intensity is cool, but so is moderate intensity for moderate durations, and so is like longer, slower efforts uh, at, short, at, at you know, pretty light intensities. And functional exercise, well, there's like this whole uh, kick on this, right? Uh,
2: I've listened to one of your podcasts, and it was uh, revelatory for me, where I want to say it was Brett Contreras, where he's mm-hmm. like, uh, bicep curls are functional. Like, you're isolating the bicep, sure, but you ever hold a baby? (laughs) Or
0: or feed yourself and take a fork to your mouth. And I
2: was like, oh, God, yeah. Like, I hold my knees and my arms want to explode off my body.
0: Yeah, so in the wake of CrossFit, there was this, like... um,
2: Multi-joint yeah, there,
0: there was this thought that multi-joint exercises not only were better for you, but it somehow like made you a better person. I think there was this air to, like, if you use machines, you're you, like somehow a, a lesser You pointed to exercise. that, that you would want more machines in the gym. I would love could. more I machines so if, I, if I could fit them. Okay. Um, so the idea of exercise being functional exists not in the fact that they are multi-planar, meaning that you can perform them in. in you know, a machine kind of locks you into one plane of motion. Multi-joint movements can sometimes be performed in multiple planes of motion. They involve the whole body. But this doesn't mean that they are more functional in that like you are now better able to perform in the world. That's hardly the case. A great example is that if you have, say, your grandmother, Tony, and your grandmother wants to become more physically fit, she can perform a series of leg extension exercises in a machine. And if she does seated uh, tests and retests let's say when she goes to get out of this chair that i'm sitting in she has to use both hands to stand up out of the chair and maybe she has to even like turn her back to the chair and then push off one more time mm-hmm. using the leg extension machine can improve that such that she has the quad awareness or the the, the awareness of her thigh muscles to get up out of the machine from using machines
1: mm-hmm. and does so. it does it keep does the machine also like help Keep the rest of your body in the right position. Whereas, like if you're doing a free form exercise, you might, you know, I don't know, go too far over your knees, or you might not lock in the right position. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah. So the the, the machines are going to help you isolate uh, a particular muscle, s- sometimes single joint, sometimes multi joint. But uh, I would say that they are no. S- well you you could argue that they are a bit safer but someone um can can still find ways to make um either free weight exercise or machine training something that is beyond their ability to recover from mm-hmm. and it just won't be uh, sustainable if that makes sense yeah. so mm-hmm. um you know this idea of functionality it it has to be specific for you know, a purpose, and we have to know that using machines isn't bad. Doing bicep curls doesn't make you uh, a narcissist. We have all these tools that we can use, and if we kind of niche ourselves down to saying we only perform these kind of exercises, we don't do bicep curls, what happens if someone comes to your gym and says, I want bigger biceps, you're, are you gonna say like, "Well, we just don't do that we here." Do bent over
2: rows, so, and that's it. <laughs> no, yeah, right. So you
0: have to kind of ask, okay, well, what does function mean? It exists on a continuum. It's designed really for someone's goals, and um, we we try to just let people know that there are so many different types of exercises that you can uh, that you can perform. We want to not neglect any major muscle group, and uh, you know this idea of multi-joint exercises being better than single-joint exercises or a barbell being better than a machine, excuse me, is really just not addressing an individual and their potential goals. Mm -hmm. So we're just providing context behind every piece of fitness equipment and fitness training device or intensity, if that makes sense. And then lastly, there's this piece. So I mentioned the high-intensity piece. We don't always want to be doing that. Right, that can be deleterious if we just only do high-intensity. There's nothing wrong with machines. We check that off. I got a little long-winded on that. And then with the constantly varied part, that can be tricky. Um, so one of the foundational aspects of a really good fitness program is that you have some sense of progressive overload. Mm. And progressive overload, simply stated, is that the training stressor becomes harder over time. Now, if you're constantly changing your exercise, you don't actually know that the exercise you are doing is something that you're improving in if it's always changing. So if I do squats once a month and deadlifts once a month and then a shoulder press and then an ab exercise and it's constantly varied, I might have the uh, great benefits that come with mood elevation and the social support from my community, but how do I know if I'm actually consistently getting better at it if I'm not non randomizing my exercises. Mm -hmm. So there has to be some sense of what we call periodization, which is a fancy exercise way of saying structure. So instead of high intensity and which a lot of CrossFit gyms do. So if you go, and and I'm sure that if you check out the programming of CrossFit gyms, or even a lot of these high intensity gyms uh, in town, like uh, metabolic and underground fitness, I don't want to bash anyone. Like hopefully, and and I know the majority of them do have some structure, Mm -hmm. but if you're used to, uh, hearing about CrossFit, that's what it is. It's high intensity, quote unquote, functional exercise, which we need to define better what that means, and it's constantly varied. Constantly
2: varied, built right into the definition. But yes. yeah. we
0: are multiple intensities programmed in a uh, continuum of functionality, and it's not constantly varied. It's strategically planned uh, for someone's you know long lasting health and performance. I could speak about that forever. I just tried to make sure. I, hopefully I explained I that, that in the, mm-hmm. using no, the right I, words I think for this audience. You,
2: you hit the point. And what I'll try and explain pr- maybe practically is what that looks like to me, Sarah, is that we walk in and you either do some portion of sports-specific weightlifting training for the first 30 minutes or you don't join for that portion. For those who
0: want who, to f- do it. For those yep. who
2: want it. And then there's an hour-long class, which typically looks like some sort of primary lift. Be
0: primary in that uh, you know you you get a great return from them. Uh, you can, uh, in terms of your your strength and your muscular development, uh, these are often performed on a barbell. That's why they're called you know what we'd consider to be like a primary exercise. Like a so it's a squat, a it's squat, a deadlift. a deadlift, a bench press, a
2: bent row, a shoulder press. Uh, but yeah, that's why they would be primary, so to speak. And and then you s- support that with. What would be considered tr- traditionally auxiliary movements that are either done alone or as part of like a a superset, meaning multiple different things done, kind of relatively like close bodybuilding. together. Bodybuilding. But what would auxiliary type lifts look like in the gym? Is that
0: you can think of just like a, a single joint bodybuilding exercises, uh, push ups, sit ups, carrying weights. Uh, not carrying weights, but like carrying the weights in the form of, uh, you know, something at your side or overhead towards your center, doing direct uh, uh, work on specific muscle groups. Like, all right, we're going to think of exercise that we can use to hit the shoulders or exercise that we can use to hit the abs or the biceps. And in this way, when you have an exercise program, not only do you want this progressive overload, meaning you're doing the same thing, but adjusting the training variables so as to improve it, you're also providing some variety. Because if you're doing the same thing all the time, it's going to get boring and you're going to want to quit. But an important part of an exercise program is variety because it keeps it fun. And in keeping it varied, uh, which is what any good program will do, it also prevents the overuse of just repeatedly doing the same thing. So there's a time and a place for doing the same things repeatedly because those are really like, you know, Good, you get good uh, ROI on that, and then other things
2: that we can keep more varied, and you have fun with those things. Yeah. And and I would say like I've seen, generally some structures in CrossFit gyms I've been a part of, over the years that have we're going to do back squats before we go into a metcon, but almost always it's now ramp your engine up to eleven, mm-hmm. and if you're not laying on the ground after the workout, you did it wrong. Um, And at strength ratio, there are workouts that end with uh, explicitly not for time and explicitly not to feel challenged, like keep this light. And people don't feel like they've been cheated (laughs) after doing those Mm -hmm. types of air quote finishers.
0: And and the reason for that is that, you know, I mentioned the progressive overload of, of, you know, what's going to get you your best return. You have the principle of, uh, variety, but then you also have to manage fatigue. So that's why you would undulate, so to speak, those, those intensities. And, and one of the reasons why we wanted to, and to be clear, if our remote athletes are listening to this, we have people who compete in CrossFit who are like, wait, don't, don't leave us out of this. So, uh, we, we coach and program for people who compete in the sport of it and we are programming for their sport. But as an establishment in town, that is not a sport that we think is the most accessible for the masses in the safest way we can deliver it, if that makes sense. And, and I think the best way that I can kind of tie this together, and, and I don't want, again, I want to be you know polite about how I say this, is that if we create a, a sense of having to push ourselves maximally with our exercise, all the time, it's going to kick back either psychologically or physically on your body and it just won't really be healthy over, over a long period of time. And similarly, we believe that people think that in order to become uh, cardiovascularly fit, they have to either push long uh, durations super hard or high intensities with high frequency. And that that means you are cardiovascularly fit And for women, too, this can be quite challenging because there's a lot of societal challenges as for how women should look and how women should train in the gym. And I think that steers women towards uh, not exclusively things are starting to change, especially with CrossFit's help, but where women feel pressure to have to perform the cardiovascular exercises where, you know, like the free weights are for the guys, the machines uh, that are, you know, the treadmills and the ellipticals are for the ladies, where this is just something that uh, we're trying to break the walls down on, that women don't have to only consider their their fitness and their health to be supported by you know, these intense cardiovascular endeavors, uh, endeavors, and that that's somehow the only way to lose body fat. There's a lot of misinformation and misunderstanding around how we change our body composition, in fact, very little of it has to do with the exercise program. So you can take any exercise program and if you don't influence your dietary changes or dietary habits, you'll not have any difference from one program to the next on that body composition. So to think that your cardiovascular training is somehow better than either resistance training or perhaps what we realize now is best for body composition when you you know you you have an awareness around what you're eating is actually a blend of both cardiovascular training and resistance training. It's, it's just that uh, people are, because everyone has their own personal experience with exercise, everyone has a voice, it becomes very noisy, like the, the room becomes very noisy. You don't know where to go for information. So uh, like for instance, um, a great example of this is that I was watching the Beyonce documentary and she's like crushing it. I don't know if you guys have seen it, <laughs> no. but she's just like such a force and they're working so hard in their dance routines. And I'm like, this is the best thing I've seen in so long. And then she says, uh, in response to how she prepared for this, she's like, my diet consists of just eating fruits. And I was like, ah, shit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, no. Because
0: the, these people in society who have great societal sway and they have great followings, what they say is very significant. And people you know take that advice, yeah. um, and uh, the same thing applies to exercise. so if an exercise quote unquote like celebrity uh, exercise expert says you know the only way to lose body fat is to do cardiovascular training, and that 's kind of been the narrative for a very long time that 's what people are going to do but no that that is yeah. not at all the
2: case this this seven minute ab workout will kill your muffin tops
0: (laughs) oh my gosh and and unfortunately like i said earlier you know our cell on moderation and sustainability is like not a sexy cell but it just comes down to educating people a little bit more about things like you know the importance of adding muscle for not just your health now but your health in the future Uh, and educating people about the importance of cardiovascular training and contextualizing it all it's never black and white. Uh, it, we try to go beyond what's just written on the, uh, the board, so to speak, that day for the workout and, and provide people an education in it, uh, which we feel confident in because we've put in the time and we've also consulted with the people to you know, help us feel really confident and ethical about what we're providing. Yeah.
1: I love that. Uh, I noticed one of your posts recently – or fairly recently on Instagram, was um, from a student that was talking about pain mm-hmm. and overcoming, um, I, I don't know, maybe an uh, injury or something that she had. How? What's your approach to dealing with uh, someone who comes in and says, I, I have a lot of pain?
0: Yeah, so somewhere. because we've been able to help people improve their performance um, using sound scientific programming because the reality is like I went to to school for this there are there are graduate programs on this there's there's science being conducted on how to improve performance in a, a really intelligent fashion it just so happens that that same precision that you would use to improving performance can also explain why people are feeling pain in response to performance and how when actually used and dosed appropriately, people who perhaps have never trained in the gym can apply the same training principles that would improve performance to help them get out of pain and then improve performance. So it goes back to what a few things that I mentioned before. You have aspects of exercises that you are steadily trying to improve upon uh, that's non randomized, because if someone's in pain and you have randomized exercise, you don't really know what's working, what's not. And if you have someone who is coming to the gym and they're always pushing the same intensity and it's always high, again, they're they're not going to have their their fatigue well managed. So there has to be that blend of uh, progressively overloading what feels comfortable and kind of like meeting people where they're at. Like when you go into a gym, you have your own exercise histories, your own pain experiences, your own relationships with body image. And for someone to do that who's never done that before is a very brave thing. You have to be very vulnerable. And if you go into a situation where someone says, all right, this is how we do this, and here's how we're going to load it, and there isn't that vetted getting to know the person, get to know their history, you might dose them with something very inappropriate uh, with their exercise, right? Because you would go to a medical doctor to receive a very careful prescription of a medication that can drastically influence your, your physiology, uh, or potential, potentially your psychology. But we don't often talk about the prescription of exercise as it would relate to feelings in our body, right? So, But this is something that we want to start talking about. It's something that physical therapists are recognizing, hopefully that medical doctors are increasingly recognizing, is that if I have pain with my exercise, maybe I don't have to ditch the exercise and go to this physical therapist who's not associated with any form of exercise. Maybe my physical therapist, if they're well-trained in this, can help me better understand how to look at my exercise through a better lens and understand why this pain became present or why I plateaued and how to course correct, if that makes sense. The dose becomes so important.
2: So when you, you mentioned my grandmother before, hypothetically, grandma feels pain doing, uh, I don't know. Let's uh, say looking left, then she stops looking left, stopping looking left, perpetuates the likelihood that looking left could continue to hurt. Like I, I'm just thinking, it seems like traditional response to pain could just perpetuate pain or not be a fix. It's like, all right, well now we don't go into that room of the uh, house anymore. Totally, absolutely. <laughs> like, that's that's what happens, and the the
0: reality is that everyone's experience with pain is their own unique experience. And a lot of uh, times I think when people come to us, they'll explain that that history may not have been fully acknowledged by other providers who they've met or other coaches uh, that they've come across. So we have to consider the individual's history with pain or the individual if they're looking to achieve really, you know, far-reaching things in performance. Uh, We have to consider their past experiences and everything they're bringing to the table. But you are right. There's this uh, concept that if you don't use it, you lose it. And with pain, we may start to have fear of different movements. We might have narratives around what we can and cannot do. When in actuality, if we can begin a program with honest communication around what our comfort levels are now, and we are graded into it easily, that becomes a really successful start. So oftentimes people get excited for change in their fitness and they take to it you know, at, at 110, 120%. Where probably the best thing to do is start with a small change and see with careful instruction how they can just get a little bit better how they can approach exercise with comfort because if it's something that's super easy, you'll get bored and you'll stop exercising. If it's something that's too far ahead of you, it'll feel intimidating and you'll quit. But if it's just far enough ahead, you'll feel motivated and you want to get that positive feedback. So as a coach, if someone comes in and they have pain in their body or past experiences that have produced pain, not only are you deeply empathetic to that, but you want to give them wins. You want to celebrate those wins as you go. Mm. So if someone comes in and they have pain in their knees squatting to a 20-inch box and over time we start perhaps at a 24-inch box, and we work our way down. You, you celebrate those wins. And over time, you can reduce the fear of movement, and you can reduce the consequence of uh, you know, what might have been in the past, this kickback of the body, by just, again, celebrating small wins and just taking your time, building momentum, not going from zero to 100. That's mm. so important.
1: I feel like there are so many transferable skills here. I mean, I we know we're talking about fitness, mm-hmm. but this whole concept of challenging yourself just enough—I um,
2: literally posted about it today.
1: Yeah, I mean, so tra- it's
2: a flow state yeah. kind of Goldilocks effort thing. Yeah,
1: right. Go-
0: it's, that's also known as the Goldilocks effect. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. it's it's so transferable, and when you know we look at our athletes retention, we think that a lot of it is because you know. That's just built not into our marketing, Mm -hmm. which feels honest. Like, we're going to market that forever. Is that 1% better? We're not going to do things for, we're going to try to delay instant gratification, right? We're not going to attempt a weight that's way out of our abilities when we're not feeling well that day just because we want someone to video it and put it on Instagram. So we're going to delay that instant gratification. We're going to be in it for the long haul. And it's also written into the fabric of the program design. And even for someone who wants to achieve high performance demands on a shorter timeline, let's say you have a youth athlete. So Kyle does brilliant work with youth athletes. Becca does too. You only have one shot at a youth athlete's optimal development. Because if you mess that up, it's it's done. Not that they can't exercise in the future, but even though there might be a timeline relative to say like, their first varsity team or to a, uh, you know, a division one contract, if you get it wrong, you can't undo that. So even on a shorter timeline, there still has to be this approach to what we just alluded to, that 1% better, that steady approach to improvement. And uh, it, yeah, it's, again, it's not the sexy route, but it is a reliable route uh, that you can count on always.
2: Strength ratio, what's it mean to you?
0: So, It's actually interesting. Um, When we first learned about how to help people resolve their pain or improve their performance, there was this thought that there was a ratio with which you had to be performing in different exercise categories to stay healthy. Um, Meaning like if I have knee pain, it could be that my squat is... At this percentage or this weight, when really based on what I can deadlift or what I can do in other areas, it should be this. And that that explains why someone experiences pain. So at the time, and I think this is kind of like a cool learning lesson, we had this idea of strength ratio because there are these ratios of uh, how our body ought to come together in this like, beautiful synergistic way. The reality is like that just isn't evidence-based. So we created a name founded in a theory that wasn't working for the reasons it purported. The reason that the idea of these ratios was important is because we helped people make sure that they were involving all major muscle groups and that they were managing their fatigue. So what I'm basically trying to say is that three years into the business, we recognized that the reason we were helping people was no less like powerful because we still were helping people. We're just better at it now. And we had to have this kind of like coming out to our audience saying, Hey guys, we got this whole strength ratio thing wrong in terms of exercise correlations. There is no optimal ratio between the deadlift and the back squat. That doesn't really yeah. exist. Um, However, I see it now, and the reason we didn't have a name change is because of these ratios and compatibilities with other things in life, like we mentioned the deloads in life or the synergy with the stress you have in life and how that reflects in training, for example. So the ratio idea we've kept and our commitment to people becoming better educated and thinking that fat loss only comes from cardio. Well, yeah, we'll keep around the strength. So, (laughs) but it was just really cool to, uh, as we continue to learn, have this honest moment with our audience where we're like, Hey, we totally messed this up, but we're going to keep educating ourselves and learning why what we're doing is working and learning why what's not working is not working so we
2: can ditch it. I love that. I've always liked the name and I always wondered what it meant to you.
1: It's a good lesson on naming, I think. Too, even if it was not intention, intentional, um, the name is so general that even though you did maybe mess up that initial ratio, thought you were able to lean into this other idea of ratios. Um, so I think that's interesting. Yeah,
0: yeah, and and that's all Courtney's. Oh. Like, <laughs> that, that's, Courtney came up with the name in, in the beginning, and she also came up with how. It still is applicable. Yeah. So, you know, while this interview is with me, it could have equally have been with Kyle or Becca or Courtney. So, you know, if you are supporting a local business, there's always more than one person that's putting on the show, and uh, I couldn't have done this without my team. It just feels so cool that. I actually can't remember what the business was like just being in one person's hands. So it is just as much their business as I think I said earlier in the show as it is every person who interacts with our products and our coaching services. So yeah, it's, it is definitely a team effort and I just speak on all of their behalves. So thanks for having me on, though it could have been and may have been a little bit more eloquent coming from them. Oh, um, it was our pleasure.
1: I love that. Uh, we talked a lot about how you got where you are today and how strength ratio has grown into what it is now. But what is, what are you looking forward to doing in the future? What's kind of the next step for strength ratio?
0: So it's a great question because right now what we're looking to do is we're looking to get ourselves to a position where, you know, we're working around the clock to have as a business, people really satisfied and fulfilled and feeling a great sense of community in Asheville and increasingly more people from a distance to feel like they can be connected to a coach or a program that serves their individual needs. So in pushing our efforts both near and far, we're just working to get to a spot where we can focus efforts more on uh, you know, as the business continues to grow, things like uh, community outreach, so reaching out to people who might not be able to afford a gym membership and offer that to them, uh, to offer classes to underserved populations who might speak a uh, language other than English and offer you know, something of value to to them as well. Um, because there are also maybe may people who are not in Nashville and people who can't afford a higher price point that goes along with individualized coaching and programming. uh, We're looking to create products that you can use and with guidance that may not be as thorough as a one-on-one type of support. You can, with your own program, go to whichever gym you're at and know that the programming you're following echoes all the things we've spoken about Mm. and that you can do this in a, in a safe and, and, and intelligent way. So we're looking to, you know, in the community, help those who might be underserved with fitness. And from a distance, we're looking to just expand our reach uh, and help a broader audience with perhaps a price point that's a bit lower, but uh, a product that's no less effective.
2: I love that. And I'm excited to see what that looks like. I had a question, though. You mentioned at one point that you're like up and working at five o'clock. I would love to know a little bit about what your day looks like. I know we kind of lightly touched it, um, but what your day looks like, where your time kind of goes, and what tools are you using mm-hmm. in your own personal world to, like, get work done. It seems like you're in beast mode all the time, and I know from training philosophy it can't be true, but maybe it is. Um, oh, so drawing, like, drawing, uh, that's great. So I think... I see what you're saying. Uh,
0: There is an interesting, that's such a great point. There's an interesting um, conflict that exists between sustainable training practices, Um, although it's potentially not a conflict, and I'll try to propose an example. So I think what you're getting at is how does an entrepreneur make their endeavors sustainable so as to help other people over a long period of time. Correct. That's, okay. that's where I'm,
2: that's where I'm going with. So this.
0: there are, let, let's let say Sarah, you wanted to, you came in and you're like, my goal is to accomplish this one really, you know, kind of not far reaching, but this very, um, uh, uh, intense challenge, you want to overcome this intense challenge, maybe it's a race, or it's a, a, you know something you want to do in the gym, uh, a weight you want to hit, a, a skill you want to accomplish, but you want to do it on a short timeline. The reality is, is that we can do those things. We can make things more aggressive in the gym. But then we have to, after we've accomplished those things, deload. So for a business owner, that would mean that they are pushing super hard, kind of at an unsustainable pace until they get to a spot where they can, where they can scale or you're working very hard. And so a deload is just simply in training, a reduction of training variables Mm -hmm. in life. You can have that deload where your business is now involving a lot more people and you're working a lot less. And that's, that's planned down the road. You can also have tinier, like, quote-unquote, lighter days. So in the gym, you might have, like, a light day. But I think as an entrepreneur, it's important to have these light days or these reset days, or like a mini-deload. So you go to, like, the sauna house in town, right? You take time to really shut work off. And a lot of, like you said, this is transferable. A lot of things that you would do in training are such great things to do in life. Uh, you need to make sure that if you are pushing aggressively with your business, that you have the time to fill the cup back up, and that is very challenging. You know, so at my day starts at five a.m., but so does Kyle's, and so does Beck. As I'm speaking on all of our, our, our behalves, is that we're working really absurd hours, but it's not indefinite. So if someone came to us and they're like, "I want to squat five hundred pounds," now I'm going to squat heavy for the next five years, we'll say that's totally not going to happen. But if you have the sound planning, uh, in your program, just like you'd have the sound planning in your business, you, you can make that work. And just like our clients use us, uh, as social support and as people who are in their corner kind of casting a vote, uh, for them, so too do we have one another. So, just uh recently, we had a, a business meeting where we're just checking in on how we're doing as people, despite these intense efforts of business growth because while we are business owners, we all share deep friendships uh, I consider myself to be becca's coach for example I've, i was her first weightlifting coach and when We do these really intense efforts, just like a coach would check in on their athlete. We have to make sure that we can take our our business caps off and still be there and communicating with one another as friends, especially when you're in business with your wife and your friends, that becomes super important. Mm. So it's it's definitely challenging. Um, I recently heard it described, being an entrepreneur that is, as like you see someone riding on a lion and you're like, oh my gosh, there's a person riding on a lion. That's really impressive. But the person doesn't know how he got on the lion. (laughs) (laughs) And he doesn't know when, he he or she doesn't know when it's going to stop. So it can be super intense. and It's definitely the most intense thing I've done. I know at the same time, it is my life's calling and waking up at 5 a.m. and writing programs is just like in my DNA right now. But at the same time, I, I need breaks. I need to like get off the line that sometimes I don't even recognize I'm on and just take a step back.
1: Yeah. What do you? What's an example of something that you do to deload or take a break during the week?
0: Yeah, so great question. Um, well, my wife and I mentioned the sauna house, formerly Badabatsu, in, in town. It's a, an Icelandic spa experience for those who haven't been, and, and you must go. It's It's amazing. You just take time to completely unwind and take care of yourself uh, and kind of connect with your breath in this very mindful way that allows you to get back to what you were doing in a, a very productive way. So you mentioned productivity. Uh, I think it's important to identify when you're no longer being productive and to know what your sauna house experiences are. Or for my wife and I, we love you know, making a, a shared dinner experience a romantic dinner experience. I mean, you know, no phones, they, they stay in the car. And we are just really engaged in what we're doing or if we're having a team meeting and it's not business related, we're just really in the moment present for that. No outside distractions. Um, I think where I have struggled in the past and where people have had to come in and intervene is when I tell myself I'm deloading, but I'm like half assing it and I'm still partially doing work. And I'm never able to fully kind of like rejuvenate and get back at it. And that's just where the training becomes, I just think back to training. Like I had chronic pain, which I think has made me a better coach and empathizer for my my athletes uh, in my past when I was starting the business. So I was in chronic pain because in trying to get the business up and going, I had to push longer than I was able to recover from. But it ended up working. I was sleeping maybe like four five hours a night I hadn't yet recognized the relationship between my life stressors and how I was taking care of myself. And as I became better educated, and as things became a bit more, you know, easygoing with the business, not only did the pain in my body decrease, but I was able to uh, train, like recognizing that, you know, in life I can only push so hard. I was able to recognize and consult others to learn that the same applies to my my physical training. And since that time, when I had the business, this was you know 2014, I have had some tweaks and some like little aches and pains, but no injury that's ever kept me out of the gym. So as I've become a better athlete and a better coach, I think I become a better business owner because I recognize that uh, importance of the the importance of deloading in life and in training.
2: Wow, it's a book title. <laughs> um where are you at sir do you have any more questions on training or philosophy yeah, because it, we it, can go into it, and
0: I'm sure you guys feel that too as 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 entrepreneurs yourself it, it, it can be so hard and I I'll say this like if I don't know if you feel this way but you I'm sure you do because of the podcast when you meet when you kind of go into something and you're trying to create something yourself and you want to support someone local You like really feel that deeply because you see, even if it's not on the surface, you see what that person's doing. Like you're, you're, you were perceptive of what we were doing from a business standpoint even before you came in because you were involved. And uh, you can just appreciate the effort that someone puts forth. And I would say that if you're in Asheville or whichever, you know, community you're part of, when we first moved to Asheville, I would see. You know, support local everywhere. And I didn't know what that meant. Like, deeply didn't know what that mm-hmm. meant. But now I'm like, oh my gosh, absolutely. The restaurants that we want to dine at and have great experiences with, they're going to definitely be at the restaurants of the chefs that I do personal training with because I care about these people yeah. and it's this symbiotic relationship I want to share and, and, and support and foster in our town. So, yeah, it's it's...
2: Perfect, perfect awesome. segue because I was going to say, do you want to uh, move towards some Asheville questions? I have a bunch of Asheville sure. questions. For you. I'm wondering when you think about Asheville, you've been here now uh, six, six, six years. Six or seven years. Um, we've talked a lot about community, specifically the strength ratio community and Asheville as a community supporting you. I'm wondering, uh, we've attempted to ask this question a couple times. Do you s- see anything as like an obvious Asheville's missing this? Mm, yes. Um, in fact, it at one
0: point almost led to us leaving Asheville was so when we first moved here and this is no longer an issue is that the the six years ago, there weren't a lot of people our age. People couldn't either find the jobs, uh, or it wasn't while it was on the map, it wasn't as on the map as it is now. And we had a hard time finding our, our social circles Uh, that has seemingly improved each year. So, uh, in terms of diversity and age, now you have everyone. Um, there are challenges certainly to the kinds of jobs you can have, and that's kind of what this podcast is all about. we right? like, how are people doing it? Because it's seemingly really hard in Nashville. But the one thing that we've uh, kind of been challenged with is the lack of racial diversity, um, especially when we moved here six years ago, super homogeneous, uh, you know, very, uh, uh, you know, uh, small, condensed, and, and in time, not at times, but still today, uh, segregated communities. And I know it's this way in bigger cities too, but you know, the, quite a low Hispanic population, uh, Asian population, African American population. But every year that we've been here, we see when you go downtown or you're in West Asheville walking on Haywood Street, you're seeing increasing racial diversity. And I know that the, the town's working hard on it. But that I think is one thing that that the town
2: still has a, a long way to go on. This podcast too, it is not missed by us that we uh, are, are lacking diversity that we're looking for, and that's something we've noticed as well. Um, but I think that's very astute. Yeah. yeah. How, well, Sarah, do you have any Asheville question? I feel like I could just. Rattle off questions, and that doesn't necessarily serve <laughs> the podcast. And I could just talk to you all day.
1: <laughs> I mean, I'm always curious to understand to know where people enjoy going out to eat. Uh, do you have any favorite restaurants or cafes in town?
0: Uh, so, Curate or Curate, I think if I'm saying it correctly. Mm-hmm. uh Kate, <laughs> <Shireti. Chef laughs> Katie Button's restaurant. Yeah. It's the best we've ever had in my life. That's definitely like our our special occasion place. Uh, I know Courtney loves uh, Binberry Bond. Uh, that's in West Asheville. It's kind mm. of like cafe uh, breakfast experience. Um, I try to expand Kyle's horizons. He, he'll still go to like Chipotle. Well, we'll still hit Chipotle <laughs> up a lot. But like <laughs> for lunch, gosh, there's like too many options. Yeah. Um, uh, but, you know, like uh, if you've never sat on the porch of Corner Kitchen, uh, Chef Joe Scully's Restaurant, that is an amazing experience or Lamone's downtown or, oh gosh, there are just too many to count. But I think that's the problem with Asheville sometimes is that when you go to make dinner plans or, 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 you know, you want, you want to experience something, it's sometimes Analysis, overwhelming. for um, sure. Oh, yeah. and but then one other place is, so my wife and I went to Thailand Mm-hmm because there's been, and this is for people who live in Asheville, li- still listening to the podcast, I know we've been going for a while now, is that if you're questioning where the good Thai food is, it's 100% Little B Thai's. And if you don't like Little B Thai's, you just simply don't like Thai food. authentic Thai foods. Because when we came back, we, we honeymooned in Thailand, and it was the best experience ever. And we came back, I'm like, well, I, we'll go here. We're hearing mixed reviews about Little B Thai's. We get our food, and we're like, this is, no, this is the, the real thing. Cool. So if you don't like it, you just shouldn't go. Yeah. L-
2: Little B Ties is not on our radar yet. Oh it's, um, I mean, um,
1: it's right by down down by the Grill House. Yeah, right next door. that movie house. Oh, wow. Yeah, so good.
0: The head chef lives on the streets of Bangkok for 30 years, which explains the food's authenticity.
2: I'm super into that. We one of our favorite restaurants in New York was Uncle Boon's, which uh, air quotes authentic Taiwanese food, which oh, yeah. was our only. Example of a Thai restaurant that didn't have pad Thai in the menu, oh, yeah. for example. Cool. We'll, we're we're going to visit that for a hundred percent. Standard question towards the end of our uh, podcast is if we had a magic wand, we or our audience had a magic wand and could grant you any one singular wish, sir, what might that wish be? I, um,
0: That's such a good question. It would be, to whether it's with us or any of the fitness establishments in town is that while you are going um, to find one that works for you, uh, you know, find what feels fun, find what you can stick with, find what's enjoyable, um, but also try to maybe dive a little bit further as for where you're getting your fitness and health information. So, um, you know, just becoming uh, increasingly um, while it's hard to become literate when you don't know where to go to um, just know that if you're getting your uh, nutrition and fitness uh, information from like a people's health magazine or from a reality television show, probably not the best place. Uh, There are many, uh, many great health and nutritional uh, podcasts out there and, uh, you know, different uh, higher-level academic research journals that you could subscribe to that are certainly not the starting place, but one place could be tuning into our podcast where we just take people who are much smarter than us and much more experienced and in fields that are outside of our own. Sometimes coaches pretend to be dietitians and registered nutritionists when that's not their profession. So we bring on those experts to talk and uh, just help people better understand Uh, what is evidence-based and kind of sift through all the noise because it it, it can be quite
2: noisy at times. And uh, I will – one of the many things that I think I've bothered you in the gym with is I I come over and I'm like, I just watched this documentary. What do you think about this? And uh, I I hear that, and I will do my best (laughs) to not be as quickly – it's a funny space because there are – Someone said it once like, no one has a, uh anecdotal point of view about like astrophysics, mm-hmm. but everyone's got something to say about nutrition. Totally, everyone's got something to say about e- even marketing because it's it's like tangible and close. And uh, yeah, I eat you know only fruit and I'm Beyonce, so obviously, this is the way to do yeah. it. That's that's it's a Risky and weird world.
0: Yeah, I think that the the final two things I can say about that is that in terms of fitness and food, though just know that when I mention this thing about food, I am not a professional, is that with both fitness and food, you have to find something that you can stick with, something that is attractive and that you enjoy, and that to be successful in either, there has to be a, a strong awareness of moderation. No, no grand sweeping change is ever going to provide the the fix that you think exists or that you think that that you need. Um, so to moderate both the fitness and the, the food, and if you're looking to make change there, just make steady change back to the like, 1% changes that we mentioned is huge. And then to also just um, perhaps reach out to professionals in town who seem credible. We exist, but there are others. Because it can be very hard. Not only are you getting a lot of noise from pop culture, but for instance, if you are, and this might affect, this could affect a someone who identifies, you know, a, a male body person just want to be, you know, uh, politically correct and, and 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 correct in my speech with how I'm using gender. Uh, it, but I think this really will affect people who identify as female who go to the doctor and they have a good amount of muscle mass and with their body mass index, which is used by the Center of Disease Control to basically look at like large population stats with obesity and and people being overweight, which is a challenge for especially Western countries, but that someone with a good amount of muscle mass, while I've been sitting here talking about how you should be resistance trained, you're going to go to your doctor and your doctor will say that you are overweight or obese by way of a body mass index score. So sometimes even the... Healthcare providers, and again, this is not like doctors are bad people. My dad's a medical doctor. There are so many great medical doctors in our community and part of our strength ratio community. It's just that it can be very, very hard. If, you, if, I'm, if I'm saying that pop culture is not the best place to go, but your medical doctor can tell you that due to your muscle mass, and, and again, that's not a big part of the population, but if you're listening to this and you want to add muscle and you go to your doctor, you're like, screw that guy. My doctor said I'm overweight. It can be tough. Yeah. So just uh, know that I want to say, like, just keep tuning into us for this information because <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anyone else in town who's trying to educate on this level outside of what they're doing with their their gym space. But it, there's so much noise; it can be super hard. And this all connects to very intensely, like, personal things that we all experience in our lives. Um, it's just good to have someone who is supportive and is educated on this to help you. It's
1: not a one-size-fits-all.
2: No, no, no. The good old-fashioned uh, bodyweight sandwich of Instagram and medical doctors messing with the psyche. Crazy. Yeah. So, um, Zach, I, we will have all the links, obviously, in all of the places, but where might people find you on the World Wide Web?
0: So, they will find us at strengthratiohq.com and at strengthratio on social media. I'm trying to think if there are any other platforms. There are none. Podcast. Um, What's your podcast? podcast if you just uh, go to the podcast app on your phone or Spotify, just type in "strength ratio." Uh, again, if you're wanting to find out more about you know this this information or these allies, people who you then can follow and tune into, just go through our our you know our our records of, of uh, shows and tune into the fields of. Uh, uh interest for you and 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 stick up on on what they're doing on social media cuz that's why we have the podcast is to help sift through all of the complications yeah. to both fitness and nutrition that,
2: that I mentioned prior.
0: Yeah.
1: Fantastic.
2: Well, thank you. This was our second rep and I think that uh I look forward to future reps.
0: I know. Me too. <laughs> I had so much fun.
1: And that was episode 30 with Zach Greenwald of Strength Ratio.
2: What a sweetheart. Oh my goodness. <laughs> uh i we laugh only because i say that pretty much every time and it's true Uh, i hope that you could hear in zach's voice just how deeply he cares how um much he tries to respect and honor both his partners and his clients and the community here in Asheville. um loved loved getting to talk with zach and grateful that we got to do it twice so you know uh i'll let, I'll eventually let go of the fact that I made a mistake on the recorder, but um, fortunately,
1: Zach is a very empathetic and uh, friendly person, so he was willing to record it again with us
2: absolutely so if you enjoyed this episode, please uh let us know by liking and subscribing, and if you could reviewing on Apple iTunes or Apple Podcasts. The reason we ask for that is because that is the de facto place to write reviews. And in writing reviews, um, the better the reviews, the more likely we show up in searches, which means Zach's story and the stories of our past guests get to show up more and more people get to hear about them. So, um, Thank you in advance for taking a moment to like and review.
1: And as always, if you want to learn more about anything that we talked about in this episode, just visit our show notes page at making it dot com forward slash zero three zero so it's just the number of the episode um on the show notes page we typically link to particular books that we talk about or to other businesses that we mentioned throughout the episode as well as to um, strength ratios website and where you can connect with them Um, so again that's making it a forward slash zero three zero
2: and as always, if there's anyone in the community that you would like us to reach out to and potentially interview, if you would like to be interviewed by us, please let us know. And the best way to do that is at making dot com forward slash podcast. So making it in Asheville forward slash podcast. And uh, there's a really simple survey to fill out. Let us know who we should interview next. Wow. Right on. So. Uh, going to be hard i i don't know the final runtime on this but i think we've made it over two hours if you listener have stuck with us this long a deep and humble bow for your attention uh, it is something we take very seriously and appreciate so um thank you for making it this far in sarah congratulations we are now in the 30s it's absolutely crazy high five